0: Good evening, and welcome to the Spirit Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kendall tonight, and uh, our topic is the Gate of Heaven, part four, and we'll be talking about the oneness of God. There's a couple of little uh, public service announcements I want to make before that. Uh, One is simply that there will be no Bible study next Wednesday, August the 3rd, uh, but we are planning on having another Gate of Heaven episode, episode five on the 10th of August and keeping on going from there on Wednesdays, as per usual. And also, as you may know, good friends, this is our seventh anniversary. We started on July 28th, 2010, with just a few people around the table here. And now there's 64,000 views of these videos, and all these volunteers have helped. I was thinking the last few days of all these people who helped us get the podcast going, or told us about Ustream, or, you know all these different beachs someone told me how to get a donate button on PayPal and all, all this stuff and and uh, some people have helped out every week for years and some people did one function or whatever and we've had all these wonderful donors and all these wonderful people who are watching so it's just beyond my wildest dreams to think about this because really it's a truly all, volunteer crew it's just like nobody works on this during (laughs) in normal business hours or whatever this is just just something we do uh on the side and uh it's really great to see the lord uh blessing it and may there be many more years into the future this is episode 311 uh so there's been some episodes in those seven years so that's uh that's exciting so um the oneness of God, I don't know if you've noticed, good friends, but some people think that there's a trinity of persons in the Godhead. There are three separate people. There's the Father, there's the Son and the Holy Spirit. And there's some passages that talk about this that we may look at tonight. Um, but there's been this long-standing view in Christianity that uh, there are three uh, separate persons and together they make one God but each of them is separate. In fact, for those of you who are getting the video, I'll show you my uh, graphic right now that we'll be talking about a little bit tonight. For those of you getting the audio, I can describe it for you. This is called the Shield of the Trinity. If you Google the Shield of the Trinity, you'll find this shape. It was invented like in 1220 AD or something. You know, it's been around a long time. And uh, there's a circle with an F on the top left that's for the Father and then a circle in blue that I put in blue for the sun on the right, and then a circle in green for the Holy Spirit at the bottom, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then in the center you have a circle called God, and there's an arrow leading in from the Father to God saying is, and from the Son to God says is, and from the Holy Spirit to God says is. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but... You have brackets on the outside around the triangle that the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. This is the shield of the Trinity. And frankly, I think it shields you from having any understanding of the Trinity. (laughs) But uh, we hope to be talking about this, examining this in the light of Scripture tonight. Because part of what we're talking about in this series is uh, this amazing idea that Swedenborg gives that scripture is able to connect us with heaven. Uh, A few of you may know about this temple that Swedenborg sees in the other world. He describes it in True Christianity, number 508. Uh, There's this beautiful temple that represents this new uh, religious era that Swedenborg is foreseeing a time, times, and half a time after his time period in the 18th century. And uh, one of the features of that temple is that it has a sanctuary at the center with this veil raised up. And uh, the meaning of that flows into Swedenborg's mind, which is that scripture is what connects people to heaven. You know, the, the literal sense of scripture is able to connect us to heaven under the right circumstances. And so what this series is about is what are those circumstances? We talked in the first one about how you need to have certain concepts in your mind, correspondences, doctrine of genuine truth, Uh, There's a particular concept that's of such great importance that I thought it was worth talking about on our seventh anniversary tonight, uh, which is the oneness of God, that the way angels read scripture has a oneness in it. Um, If you read with a trinity, you'll be connected, a trinity of persons in your mind. Uh, You will be connected to the spiritual world, but you'll be connected to spirits who have that same view. Swedenborg says, you won't be... Uh, connected with angels because angels don't see it that way so that's pretty strong language is there biblical support for that i thought scripture clearly taught this trinity that everybody has been talking about forever and this is sort of the distillation of of how it works so so that's what we will be exploring if you want to go on that uh, dangerous journey with us tonight uh, i invite you to join us good friends and let's open with a prayer Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We pray for your presence among us this evening, Lord. Thank you for gathering us in your most holy name. We pray that you open our minds and our hearts to understand you, who you are, and what it is you would have us do by our study of the word, amen. Sending love to those of you who are out there online and on the phone and getting the audio podcast and here in the room. Blessings to all of you. All right. Now, uh, how could the Father, Son, I mean, Scripture does talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's look at a, a crucial passage about this in the New Testament to begin with. Let's go to Matthew 28. How on earth could you say uh, that there's a true oneness? Part of Swedenborg's point, and I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, okay, I'll I'll riff on this for a little bit. With the shield of the Trinity idea that, that all of them are God, but they aren't each other, let's say instead these initials stood for foods, just to be a little ridiculous and perhaps profane, but if F stood for fats and S stood for sugars, and HS stood for hot soup. And in the center, you had, instead of the word God, you had the word food. Could you say that fats are food, that sugars are food, that hot soup is food, but fats are not sugars. Sugars are not hot soup, hot soup is not fats, or you know. So you could get this diagram to work if the thing in the center is really vague. But the fact is, those aren't the only three food groups. Some people may treat them as the only three food groups, but actually there's more than that to food. Um, Food is this huge umbrella, and yet this idea of the Trinity is that there's really only three things under there. You know, there's three things, and each one of them is God, uh, but there's only one God, and they're not each other. And another way that this is divided up is that the Father is often uh, associated with the act of creation. This is God the Father, you know, the creator, right? And uh, the Son is the Redeemer and the Savior. The Holy Spirit is kind of the communicator, goes out and and brings messages to you and inspires people and so on. And uh, so you have these different functions associated with them. So they're so separate that they'll have different functions, and yet they're supposed to be one God. It, It really actually doesn't make... Much sense. It's an interesting way to put it together, but it doesn't, because syllogistically, if you said the Father is God and the Son is God, wouldn't that make the Father and the Son equal? Like, doesn't that make sense? How could you say is not? You know, isn't this kind of a brain breaking diagram to have the is nots in there? And uh, let's look at a crucial passage where you get the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They actually There's a lot of talk in the New Testament about father and son. You don't often get the big three together. There's about three or four passages where you ever see them, this foundation stone. But one is a very crucial one at the end of Matthew, chapter 28, starting at verse um, 18. This is after Jesus is resurrected, and he comes and kind of gives one final message to his followers. And so it's very, very important. Let's look at this.
1: And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth.
0: Yes, and uh, in the Old King James it says, All power is given to me. And uh, both work, authority or power. And here's where you get heaven and earth. That's what we're talking about. How can this earth reconnect with heaven? So all power is given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. And so what, what are the instructions?
1: Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Yes. Go on.
1: Uh, uh, Right. (laughs) Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age.
0: Okay, now you can see why people would think there's a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit, and that's the way you're supposed to baptize people there are several interesting things that kind of undermine the Trinitarian view. And I'll try to cover the Trinitarian view briefly, and uh, maybe I'm not even correct in my understanding of this, but I think the idea is that there have been three persons in the Godhead from eternity. At least that's what, that's what a lot of people think. There's the Son of God born from eternity, uh, and that all three have existed forever. And so there's some interesting... Challenge. So you say, okay, this clearly teaches a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are three of them up there. But uh, what does Jesus say in verse 18? All what? What did he say?
1: All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth.
0: So if there are three separate beings, that means the Son, the Son has been given all power in heaven and earth. So the Father has no power in heaven. Father has no power on earth. The Holy Spirit has no power in heaven. and The Holy Spirit has no power on earth. Whew. So that's all been given to the Son. Uh, so that's a little, you know, so if you're talking about a Trinity and two of them are utterly powerless, why do we bother? You know, it's kind of a weird place to begin. And then, uh, so it says, does it say, dear reader, in verse 19... If you look very carefully in that verse, how many names, it says baptizing them in the what?
1: In the name.
0: Name, singular. It's not three names. It's not the names of. It's just the name of. There's one, there's one name. And it's interesting if you study this out in the Acts, uh, the book of Acts, there's all kinds of baptizing that goes on. And no one ever baptizes anyone in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Nobody ever does it. None of them. They never do. It's not ever recorded. They only ever baptize anybody in one name, which is the name of Jesus. They all do it in the name of Jesus. And that's a good thing because he's got all power in heaven and on earth. And then what about the pronouns in verse 20? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever we have commanded you. What does it say?
1: No, that I have commanded you. I have
0: Oh. Uh-huh. Go on.
1: And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age.
0: Huh. So there's one name and there's one I and there's me and I have all power. And I mentioned these three things, but there's a lot that's really singular about this. You know, like even in the smoking gun Trinity passage, there's a lot that's, that's singular in it, you know. And, and the actual practice of the disciples, either they misunderstood or they were doing what he said which is that Jesus is the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the name. So they were doing it right. Um, So now that does raise the question, why would you talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit if the three are one? But let's hold that in our minds and ponder that a little bit. Um, I want to look at one other passage. Let's go to the very end of your Bible, Revelation chapter 22 you get this kind of thing a lot. You don't get much talk of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, although sometimes you can see them, like the baptism of Jesus, there's a dove, and then the Father speaks, and the sons, they're getting baptized. You know, there's a few, few scenes where you can pick it up. Um, <clears throat> but in uh, Revelation 22, uh, this is talking about uh, the river, the water of life. This is the very end of the book of Revelation. Everything's beautiful. The holy city is coming down. And look at verses 3 and 4.
1: And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it.
0: Oh, okay. God and the Lamb. So the Father would be God. The Son would surely be the Lamb, right? Often Jesus is referred to as the Lamb. So the the God and the Lamb. But how many thrones are there, dear reader?
1: Uh, the throne, one. It's
0: just one throne. So one one throne of God and of the Lamb. And then, and, and how about our pronouns after that? So the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and?
1: His servants shall serve Him.
0: Singular. His servants shall serve Him, and they shall what?
1: They shall see His face. His face. And His name shall be on their foreheads.
0: Yes, singular person, singular name. So God and the Lamb only have one name. See what I'm saying? So the the pronouns are singular. Now, there are one or two passages in scripture where you get a plural, you know, in John, it says, we will make our abode with them and things like that. You very seldom see that most of the time, no matter how many sort of divine beings are listed, they've all got a singular pronoun. You know, there's one. So I'm interested in that. Um, Okay, now, uh, all right. Okay, time to go to Isaiah. Okay, let's go to the middle of your Bible, to the Psalms, and turn to the right, and you'll get to Isaiah, which is really giant. Let's go to Isaiah 9, verse 6. And the reason I say this is important, is not only important for our understanding, but if we really want to use the word to connect with heaven, we've got to be putting all that stuff in the right folder in our heads, you know? We've got we to put it all, all together. What's that? Oh, no, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. Isaiah 9. Okay, let's read Isaiah 9 and 6 here.
1: For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given.
0: And this is widely understood to be a prophecy of the Lord's coming. This is the Old Testament. Isaiah the prophet is prophesying that one day this son will come. Okay, so the son. So we're talking about the son, clearly. This S over here, right? The son. The son. A child is born, the son is given. Okay, go on.
1: And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace.
0: Now, wait a second, dear reader. The everlasting what? Father. I thought there was a son. Didn't you say son at the beginning of that verse? Did you read that correctly? A child and a son or something at the yes, beginning of the verse? Yes, unto us a it's son, its son is given. And the son's name will be the father. And not just a temporary father, but the everlasting father. So how could you possibly say that the father is not the son? You would have to cross out not and say Isaiah 9, 6. Hello, somebody, you know. <laughs> Isaiah 9.6 says that the, the Son's name is the Father. Okay? Alright. Uh, let's go to the Gospel of John in the New Testament. We're just, we're just looking at this, right? John 8. Now maybe you know, maybe you know of this story. You don't have to turn back there, good friends, but you may know of this story in Exodus where Moses appears by the burning bush, and there's some debate about God's name. And God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. So the name of the Father is, I'll write it up here, I am, right? That's the name of the Father, the Old Testament God declares his name as being I am in the Old Testament. Okay, in John 8, uh, verse 57, you know, they're talking about... Okay, here we go. We've got to read a little more than that. John 8, 56.
1: Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Go on. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham?
0: And what did Jesus say?
1: Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was I am.
0: Whoa, before Abraham was, I am. So let's add John 8:58, which again would get rid of that is not, you know? Let's cross that not out a bit more. We may need to get the black out here in a bit. So John 8:58 says that the Son is the I am. In fact, in John, there are seven I am statements. I am this, I am that. I'm the, you know, and if you look in the Greek, there's even more. When the, when the soldiers come to arrest him, he says, I am, and they all fall down to the ground. You know. He says, he's, I am the bread of life. I am the light that's coming to the world and all that sort of thing. I am. So he says, before Abraham was, I am. Okay, let's look at John 10. You all know this, good friends. John 10, verse
1: 30. I and my father are one.
0: Okay, are one. Kind of hard to get is not. I am not my father. It's hard to get I am not my father out of I and my father are one. So you may not say the Father is the Son, but at least you'd say is one with or the two of them are one or something. So I'm going to throw John 10, what was that? 30, right? John 10, 30 up there. And let's look at John 14. John 14 is really awesome. And uh, look at verse 6 there. Let's start there and read down.
1: Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him.
0: Now, how could they be an is not if by knowing Jesus you already know the Father? That isn't a is not a relationship. I mean, if you get to know sugars, that doesn't mean you know fats. You know, those are two separate things. But the Son and the Father are not separate things. The thing they have in common is not just, oh, they're just vaguely foods. You know, they're just vague. so these are just vaguely divine beings that share some quality of, div- undefinable quality of divinity. Another thing that you need to understand that we've talked about in Bible study many times before is that divinity, if you really lift up your mind and look at it, you will see that divinity is in divisible. You can't cut infinity in half. You can't have a third of infinity. So you take a third of your infinity, give a third of the infinity to the Son, a third of your infinity to the Father, a third of the infinity to the Holy Spirit, so that you've got, so none of them is really omnipotent. They're just like a third potent, you know. Well, that's not what we're talking. You know, God possesses omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence. Those are divine qualities. They're indivisible. They cannot be shared or diced or sliced or whatever. It's a very carnal way of thinking about it to think that they can't. And so, um, so he says, he who's seen me has seen the Father. Now let's read on. Verse 8 there. Uh,
1: 14, verse 8? That's right. Okay. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us.
0: Yeah, and you can see where he's coming. So, okay, we've been talking about him a whole lot. Like, let's, let's do it.
1: Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip?
0: Now, what is that pronoun at the end of that sentence? Me. me. It says, Show me the Father. And he says, Have I been with you so long you don't know Me. He me's the Father, does he not? Me, he uses the pronoun me to, to, you haven't known me, and then he explains.
1: He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works.
0: Dwells in me. That's that's yeah, okay.
1: Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves.
0: Yes, that's right. And I guess we can stop there, but it's a wonderful stuff. So so if you see okay, so I'm gonna say John fourteen oh six to nine or something, right? Uh so again, let's get our black marker and cross out the not uh, the father is the son. The son answers for the father, the, the, the what the son does or the father's deeds and so on. Now, that gets a little more satisfying as a diagram. OK. And uh, but what about the father and the Holy Spirit? The f- those are two two separate things, right? Let's look at Matthew chapter one. So turn back to Matthew. Now, can I ask you good friends? I know I know we're dancing on the edge of, you know sacred things here. The, uh, but if someone was named the Father, don't you think their job should be to be the father? You know? Is that too much to ask that the father would actually be the father? So you would think how you define father in this world is that the father would be the one that can <clears throat> conceive, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's where the child comes from, is from the father. So Matthew one twenty. what does it say about the conception of Jesus?
1: But while he thought about these things... This is
0: Joseph, yep.
1: Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit.
0: Not the Father, your one job. What, you farmed it out to the Holy Spirit or something? Your one job, you only had one job, is conceive the Son. And you didn't, the Holy Spirit conceived the Son. Now what is, okay, so Matthew one twenty. Okay, I think we need to cross out this other not here because for the Father to be the Father in any meaningful sense, the Father had better be the Holy Spirit because that's who, you know, right? That's who conceived Jesus. Okay, um, right, 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 right. Okay, now, um, how about the Son and the Holy Spirit? Those are surely, those are surely different, right? Uh, let's look at John. Let's look at the Gospel of John. I'm not saying there's no distinctions between these things. There, there isn't some reason why there are these different labels. But the is not thing is going away. Okay, okay. Uh, John seven thirty nine. Don't know how this is worded in your translation, um, dear reader. But we'll look at this in a couple of translations.
1: Thirty nine. Yes, okay.
0: and let's just read the uh, statement. Let's read from thirty seven. How about that? John seven thirty seven.
1: On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, "If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink." He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water.
0: Mm, Okay, and then what was he talking about?
1: But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified.
0: Okay, not yet given. Now, what typography if I may ask a very specific question of you. Is given in italics or is it in Roman? Italics. italics. Now what do italics mean in Scripture? They mean a word that's not in the original. It's been supplied. That's what italics mean in scripture. Like the translators felt, you know, and I understand this, I'm a translator, you, you know, you the, the word is needed to make sense or whatever like that, but they want to admit it is not there in the original. There are, there are different manuscript traditions. Some late manuscripts do have the word given in there. There's actually quite a mess in the, in the original texts here. They have various different readings and stuff, but the oldest manuscripts just say, was not, doesn't say, given it says was not yet Hmm. and so what does that mean the holy spirit was not yet because jesus was not glorified i thought the holy spirit existed forever and ever and ever what are you talking about i thought it just participated in jesus conception so what do you mean the holy spirit was not yet well it certainly suggests that there's something about the holy spirit that was dependent on jesus does it not like you said there was Basically, the Greek could perfectly well be translated, there was no Holy Spirit yet, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Shocking to this triangular diagram here, uh, but, it, you know, that's a thing. So uh, let's just put in here John 7:39 next to this Holy Spirit and Son sort of angle here, and we'll, we'll question that is not... Um, Okay, now, okay, how about uh, John 14? We'll go back there. We were already in there. Let's look at 16 and 17 and 18 here in John 14.
1: And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever.
0: Yes, and some... Translations, it's the comforter, a helper. Do you see over in verse 26? What does your translation say, dear reader?
1: Uh, but, the, but the helper, uh, the Holy Spirit.
0: Ah, so the helper is the Holy Spirit, right? Helper equals it is the Holy Spirit, right? And so in verse 16, so it's talking about this helper. So this is the Holy Spirit. So I'll pray the Father that he gives you another helper that he may abide with you forever, right? And who is that helper?
1: The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you.
0: Okay, so this Spirit is going to come and abide with people forever. And verse 18.
1: I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you.
0: Shouldn't it say he will not leave you comfort or it or whatever the Holy Spirit is? I will not leave you. Wait a minute. Isn't Jesus saying, I am the Holy Spirit? I mean, doesn't, right? I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I'm going to send you the Spirit. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to come to you. Does he mean he's also going to come to you? No, it's not. He, he is the Holy, He'll send you the helper, the comforter, and that is him. Right? In verse 20, at that day, you'll know that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I in you, and so on. So there's all this inning, mutual reciprocal inning going on. And, uh, and the pronouns, again, are interesting. I won't leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So let's put John 14, 17, 18. Is that what we were reading there? Mm-hmm. Up here to question that not, because that's certainly starting to put at least a few lines through that not. But I think perhaps the best kind of argument here, go back to the book of Revelation. And uh, it's surely not important if we understand God. I mean, you can have a church without God, can't you? You don't have to really know Him, do you? Okay, now, thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, in the book of Revelation, let's look at what's going on here in the first few chapters. You have the first verse says that it is the revelation of Jesus Christ in 1 verse 1, right? Revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, and I want to get back to that in a second because there's something cool there too. And so then Jesus appears to John. He says he's the Alpha and Omega. And there he is. He's, He's one like the Son of Man. And he's described. He's got the sword coming out of his mouth and all that. And he says... In verse 17, we got to just read that. He lays and, his hand on John and says,
1: And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last.
0: And what are the first two words of that? I am. Is that what he said? I am. Um. Fear not. I am the first. Well, would the first be like the father and the Son would be the last, or he. I am the first, and the last. He says, okay. And so, anyway, this is Jesus very clearly talking to John, right? And then Jesus says, uh, he gives him the command in verse nineteen to write the things. In fact, even before that, he says in verse eleven, write what you see and send it to these seven churches. That's the whole instructions. Send this out to the seven churches, says Jesus. So Jesus is dictating these letters. And so Jesus, if you have a red-letter Bible, it's all in red, isn't it? Chapter 2, chapter 3, it's all in red because it's all Jesus talking. And when he signs his letters, how does he sign them? Chapter 2, verse
1: 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wait a
0: second. He's not the Spirit. Why is he signing somebody else's name to his letters? And he does it seven times over. He says, I want you to take these letters from me to the churches, and he signs them the Spirit. This is what the Spirit says to the churches. This is what the Spirit says to the churches. This is what the Spirit says to the churches. Every single letter, he signs it from the Spirit. So Revelation 2 to 3 If Jesus is dictating a letter and that letter comes to you from the Spirit, then there's a pretty strong argument to be made for the fact that the Holy Spirit is the Son in in some sense. Uh, Okay, so, you know, I don't know how strong an argument that is, but I think there's some good passages there. Let's think for another second about those different Qualities. Let's see. Should we write those down? Maybe we'll take a purple marker and next to the Father, we would say creating, right? That is a very godly thing to do. In the beginning, God created the heavens, right? That's the Father did the creating, right? Must have. Whereas the Son is a savior, right? Redeemer. I mean, these are their different functions. This is the way everybody talks about it. And the Holy Spirit does the communicating, the sending of messages and things. Okay, so, uh, okay, let's take the creating one first. How about that? Okay, in John chapter 1, so let's go back to John, the Gospel of John chapter 1. Now, it talks about, often another term for the Son is the Word, right? The Word made flesh. And here's why. Let's read the beginning of John there.
1: In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God.
0: Mm. Okay, was with God, and was God. Okay, go on.
1: He was in the beginning with God.
0: Okay, and how about this?
1: All things were made through Him. And without him nothing was made that was made.
0: Oh, okay. So the word, all things were made through the word? Isn't that what it says? Like the the word is the subject, right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with mm-hmm. God, the word was God, the same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And in verse ten, this is about Jesus very clearly, because he came into this world as the light.
1: He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him.
0: So wait a minute. The sun is doing creating here. Hmm. Got a little territorial problem going on here in the Godhead. Okay. Uh, let's go to the right and go into Ephesians chapter 3. That would be through Acts and Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Galatians. Let's get to... Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, where it's quite a bit more explicit. Paul is always in mid-sentence. He's one of those breathless people. So (laughs) let's just jump into the middle of the sentence.
1: And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ.
0: Oh, wait a minute. Through Jesus, I thought Jesus was like that person who lived in the world, and he's saying that all things were created. Wait a minute. I thought the Father's job was to create, but all things were created through Jesus Christ. It was absolutely, it doesn't use sort of vague language like the word, that Jesus Christ, all things were created through Jesus Christ. Okay, let's turn to the right and go through Philippians to Colossians, Paul's epistle to the Colossians, chapter 1, and we're talking about Jesus, there's a wonderful phrase in verse 15, and then we'll read verse 16. It's all about, see, it's talking about the end of verse 13 as his dear son, right? And it's all about redemption through his blood and all that. So, and who is this son in verse 15?
1: He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Hmm. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and in- invisible, whether thrones or do- dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him.
0: It's kind of see, hard to see how the Father has a separate function here since Jesus is doing all the creating. Not only the creating on earth, but the creating in heaven. What happened to Genesis where it says God created the heavens? It seems like it was Jesus who created the heavens and the earth. What's going on here? And uh, turn to the back of your Bible and look at Revelation chapter 4. All shall be made crystal clear by the end of the evening. (laughs) 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 4, Revelation chapter 4. And here is the praise. This is a praise of Of God that these four creatures say. Which verse? Oh four verse eight.
1: The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night saying, "Holy, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come.
0: Okay, now this is a little abstruse, perhaps. But Lord God Almighty would generally be associated with the God of the Old Testament. Isn't that the powerful, almighty God of the Old Testament? But who was the God who is and who was and who is to come? That's the Son, isn't it? Like the Son, he, he was, like he died, came back to life, and, he you know, that's who is. So who's the Lord God Almighty, who is and who was and who is to come, is like the Father Jesus or something, right? It's sort of both functions. And then look down at verse 11. And they specifically speak about the Lord. And generally, Lord means Jesus in in the New Testament. Go on.
1: You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created.
0: Jesus is creating again. So there goes that whole special theory about how God the Father was creating everything. Jesus is creating everything. Okay, well, isn't he also the Savior and the Redeemer? Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 42 in the Old Testament. Because isn't he surely the Creator and the Redeemer. And if there were three gods existing forever and ever and ever, you should be able to tell in the Old... You don't have to wait till the New Testament to find out. There should be three of them all the way through the Old Testament as well, right? So 42, verse 8. What do we read there?
1: I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another. "'nor my praise to carved images.'"
0: Oh, okay. So the Lord will not share His glory. Okay, look at 43, verse 10.
1: "'You are my witnesses,' says the Lord, "'and my servant, whom I have chosen, "'that you may know and believe me "'and understand that I am He. Mm. "'Before me there was no God formed.'" nor shall there be after me.
0: Oh, okay. So there's only one God, right? There's not going to be another one. Not another one before, not another one afterwards. That's what I read right there. And then verse 11.
1: I, even I, am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior.
0: Oh, Oh, surely there is. I mean, you're forgetting about Jesus, right? Besides me, there's no Savior. I'm the Lord. That, That means Jehovah. So Jehovah, there's no other Savior except for... Jehovah, where do we put that on the chart? Okay, uh, let's look at 44, verse 6. Isaiah seems to be on a tear here.
1: Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts.
0: Now wait, Jehovah can't be the redeem. Go on.
1: I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God.
0: Okay, and verse 8 down just below.
1: Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you? Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a god besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one.
0: I know not what. So maybe they just haven't met yet. I mean, they've only been hanging around there for eternity. You know, he says he doesn't know is there another one I don't know of any. Hello? So, you know, where is this uh, supposed other God? What's going on? And, uh, okay, this is about the Lord. Now, we just heard repeatedly that Jesus created all things, didn't we? I mean, we heard that again and again, different places. So look at verse 24 in chapter 44.
1: Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. Now, you can't be the Redeemer. That job is for somebody else. That's wrong. Go on. (laughs) And he who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who makes all things.
0: Wait, you can't make all things. Jesus has to make all things.
1: Who stretches out the heavens all alone. Who spreads abroad the earth by myself.
0: With two other gods. I mean, surely. Aren't you forgetting about the other two? Look at 45. Verse 5.
1: I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me.
0: Okay, but how about verse 6? Maybe, maybe there's a different story in verse 6.
1: That they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other.
0: Okay, and I see in the very end of verse 14, Surely God is in you, and there is no other God, or something like that? What's the wording at the end of verse 14 in yours, dear reader?
1: Uh, Surely God is in you, and there is no other There is no other God.
0: No other God. Okay. Okay. And then it refers to God as the Savior in verse 15. Thank you. And uh, look at the second half of verse 21.
1: And there is no other God besides me. A just God and a Savior. There is none besides me.
0: Yes. Okay. Go on.
1: Look to me and be saved.
0: No, you're not the saved. Someone else is the saved. You're doing the wrong thing. Go on. (laughs)
1: Look (laughs) Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other.
0: Okay, well, how about 46 verse 9?
1: Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. Oh. I am God, and there is none like me.
0: Okay, come on now. How about chapter forty-eight, verse
1: eleven? Uh, for my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. For how shall, for how should my name be profaned? And I will not give my glory to another.
0: Okay, I just can't figure this out. If God the Father is the Savior and the Redeemer and the Son is the Creator. What is going on here? There was another fun little one that I discovered the other day. Uh, oh, wait. Let's just take a detour for a second. Let's, so go from Isaiah through Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. I want to go to Hosea, which comes right after Daniel. Because it's not only Isaiah who seems to go on this kind of a tear. Um, Hosea 13 uh, verse 4
1: Yet I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt and you shall know no God but me for there is no Savior besides me
0: mm, There's no Savior besides me and look at verse 14 down below there just that first bit
1: I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death.
0: Yes, this is the Redeemer. This is the Savior. Same sort of deal as what Isaiah was saying. Okay, so the Old Testament God, seems and, and how about the communicating? Uh, in one of the most uh, passage-riddled things that Swedenborg ever wrote, he lists all the places in the book of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is pretty long, uh, where... It says that Jehovah, meaning the Lord, said this or that. In other words, in the Old Testament, it never says the Holy Spirit said this, the Holy Spirit said that, the Holy Spirit said that. No, you've read it, friends. The Lord said, no, the Lord spoke to me, the Lord said that. And Swedenborg gets like he fills like half a page, all these references, just numbers, 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 you know, just all the times that it doesn't say the Holy Spirit said anything. So uh, the Father's doing the communicating, Uh, and the saving. The Son is doing the creating. Uh, Father does the redeeming, you know. So, and there's one other little one I just want to point to here uh, that I think is fun. Let's go back to Revelation 1, verse 1. I mentioned that before. I just thought this was kind of fun. Like, I would think that if you had some phrase like the Lord God of the prophets... That would mean the Father because that's the Old Testament God, right? He would be the Lord God of the prophets. So this is the kind of fun thing. Just see, see what you think of this. Fun to a strange person like me. Revelation 1 verse 1. Let's read that and tr- kind of get the gist of that.
1: The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God give, gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John.
0: Okay, so it sounds like God gave this revelation to Jesus, doesn't it? And Jesus will pass it on, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. That's what I get out of that passage. Would you agree? Uh, Now, let's go back to chapter 22.
1: Of Revelation?
0: Of Revelation, yes. Revelation 22. And look at verse
1: 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star.
0: Yes. And uh, so at the very end of the book of Revelation, here's Jesus saying, I'm the one who sent the angel. So at the beginning it said it was God, but it was through Jesus Christ or something. And he sent the angel to John. And then Jesus is saying, I sent my angel to John. And by the way, um, the root and the offspring is kind of fun. Like you can't be both the root and the offspring of something. I'm the, root, I'm the root of the. The root is what gives rise to, and then the offspring is what comes from. And he's both the root and the offspring of, of, of you know, he gave rise to him, And so anyway, he's on both sides of that equation. But so Jesus is doing all that. So look at verse 6. I just noticed this the other day in Revelation 22.
1: Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place.
0: Yeah, well, wait a minute. In the first verse, it was Jesus Christ to show to his servants things must shortly come to place, and he sent through his angel. And in 22:16, I, Jesus, sent my angel to testify these things. And then in verse 6, the Lord God of the Holy Prophets. So you see what I'm saying? When you put the passages side by side, the Lord God of the Holy Prophets equals Jesus. I, unless they've got confusion up there and two different departments are sending out angels and stuff. Uh, you know. So this kind of thing is, is fun to me. Uh, all the I am passages, um, all the... Um, all that great stuff, the singular pronouns. So I would encourage you, friends, as you do your reading, uh, look for these things, test these kind of theories. Is that really what Scripture says, that these are, you know, this is not that and that is not that? Because when you get the functions are overlapping and statements are made about both or the other one that you expect or whatever, uh, you start to see there's other ones that we haven't touched on tonight, but like... um, There's God who sits on the throne and then there's the lamb. And then later you hear that the lamb is in the midst of the throne. Well, what's he doing there in the middle of the throne when the God is already sitting there? You know, uh, what makes sense of it is when these are one and you get rid of the is nots, the is nots will kind of drive you crazy. Uh, So but it does leave a burden of saying, okay, why? If it is, why would you talk about Father, Son and Holy Spirit? Why? You know, why use that language? Uh, short story, and this may make no sense whatsoever, but I'll have good company if I do, because that's what religion is, isn't it, friends? Uh, people not making sense. Um, the, uh, when Jesus had a divine soul, that was absolutely indivisible. When that divine soul was born into a little baby form of a human being in this world, that kind of changed things. Why would you talk about the father and the son separately? Well, the son was kind of a separate thing for a while there and had a different body and had to learn from the outside and all, you know, like there really is. It's not just that you should just say these just there's no point in even having a diagram or talking about three things. There's a point. There's a point to the divine as it is in itself. I used red up there because that's for love and then blue for the son because that's the truth. So love was acting in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God because the love and truth were working together. And that's in what sense Jesus participated in all that creation because he was the divine truth. That's why he's the Word made flesh. And um, I know this is a little too heady and everything, but um, uh, there's an important reason. And the fact that the Holy Spirit was not yet, because Jesus was not yet glorified, is because that Holy Spirit is going to come. Jesus says in John several times that, that the, you know, then the Comforter is going to come. So it's like the Father and then the Son comes in the world. When the Son is glorified, then that Holy Spirit goes out. The disciples are told to wait for that Spirit because it's going to come and, 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 you know, empower them from on high and, and that kind of thing. Um, so I'm whizzing through this. We've done a lot of Bible studies on it before. But there's a reason to have those different things differentiated but they're not separate. To say is not, you know, isn't correct. Uh, to say this, you know, these are three separate people. Otherwise, you got three separate people, how do you know they aren't arguing? So they, if you had three completely equal divine beings, wouldn't they be in a locked down drag-out fight, you know, of the century or something? You know, what says they're going to get along? They have different functions, you know? Um, It doesn't make sense that our universe would have that kind of three separate beings. And when you understand how the incarnation goes, if there were three of them, there would have to be three fathers, three sons, and three Holy Spirits to represent all of them and have action in this world. There's only one father, one son, and one Holy Spirit because they go in that order. You heard Jesus say, The Father dwells in me. The Father does the work. That's where I get this stuff from. You know, he's talking about that divine soul where he gets these things from. So um, uh, I also want you to picture, friends, I don't know if this is effective or not, but but this was striking me today. Uh, What was the Lord's alternative? So you picture that God himself was born in human form. If someone walked up to you on the street and said, I'm God Almighty, do you go, oh, nice to meet you, I have some questions for you? No, wouldn't you reject it out of us like, oh, sure, you know? Wouldn't you be like a little taller, you know? Are you really going to accept somebody who just like walks right up to you and says, hi, I'm God, you know, like that's not going to work. And how are how is anybody going to be in in freedom? The Lord doesn't want to impose that on people. Uh, There's a risk of profanation if people sort of believe and then they turn away and everything. He's got to do kind of a soft sell like, oh, sure, I'm kind of connected to God. God in a vague, mysterious way, but, you know, don't worry about me too much, uh, you know, I'll say a prayer to throw you off the scent and, you know, um, he he's, you know, uh, he obviously didn't want to come into this world just like strong arm everybody on your knees, you know, like that is not who, who he is, right? Uh, he wants people to be free to draw that conclusion. So he leaves it out there, you know? And I think it's very the the, the Son is also the Word. Jesus is the Word made flesh, you read in John 1 14. And um, so the same thing is true of the Word as we've been talking about lately. The Word is kind of a soft sell. It doesn't say, I'm God, get on your you know, it, it just you're sort of reading and puzzling out these stories and looking at this passage and that seems to contradict this and everything. So it sneaks up on you. You know, the Lord wants that advantage of being able to be somewhat in disguise. You are a God. One of those, in Isaiah 45, one of those passages we didn't read was, he said, you are a God who hides yourself. You know, Uh, that he, this is, uh, there's a, uh, certain apparent separation is suddenly striking me that it 's very much like that Old Testament story where the patriarch it happens three times pass off their wives as their sisters i don 't know if you guys remember that story uh, there's there 's a stronger connection than it than he 's putting forward. you know what I mean like oh no' she 's all right, you know, but i 'm not married to her or anything you know and um Uh, when in fact there is a marriage there, you know the relationship between Jesus and the father was you know much stronger than he's gonna let on uh, because those patriarchs do that you know when they go down to Egypt or down to the Philistines when you're in enemy territory kind of thing you don't sort of lead with you hey this is my wife you know (laughs) you know that that's not how you roll and um, So the Lord uh, leaves these things in in a state where we can just approach this. So it is uh, fine uh, to believe in a trinity of persons or whatever, and it will connect you with spirits who have that same view. And after death, you'll be given an option to swap that in for for a different view. But if we want to connect with heaven... Heaven's all about the oneness of God. That's their song in the morning. It's their song in the evening. That's what they're all about. They are not about a trinity of separate persons. They're not about vicarious atonement and Jesus sacrifice. You know, they they understand that whole thing completely differently. And if we want to be on the same page with angels, uh then we need to be reading Scripture with more discernment and not saying stupid things like is not, is not, is not in a diagram that makes no sense. Makes sense if it's food, doesn't make sense if it's God. God is is indivisible. And this was amazingly powerful, how this human aspect was added on and the power that has to reach us in our lives and help us is very potent. The Lord doesn't want us to not know about that. The angels are all about that. But as soon as you split it up and play one against the other, and really the fact is the one you love is Jesus, you don't love the Father, not very lovable, you know? And, you know, that's not the way the angels view it. They see the oneness. They feel a love for that one God and how amazing it is that God himself was born in human flesh and his spirit, which is his own spirit. uh, There's lots more passages about that. Uh, makes that God intimately present with us, able to address our problems and and do things for us right here in our lives. And uh, as a closing thought, good friends, I just I hope and pray that these we're going to keep going with the Bible studies, but I hope and pray that these Bible studies have inspired you to do some of this sort of looking and poking for yourself. Swedenborg says that we are allowed to do this now. We're we're allowed to look in Scripture and see, does it make sense and does that work? And what about this passage here and everything? Uh, Because there's great things that lie in there as the understanding unfolds. And that image of the pearl of great price that people sold everything for and bought, that's the oneness of God. Those pearly gates to get into the holy city, That's the oneness of God. Uh, That concept is not just kind of academic or a curiosity or something. Uh, If we're missing that, we've really got a crazy uh, picture of God that's not accurate, and the angels find it hard to flow into that and be with that. They find it hard to to be with this diagram unless it's edited in some way. So. Uh, Those are my thoughts, good friends. Let's continue to seek the oneness of God. I know these are great mysteries. I went flying through them and everything, but I hope this Bible study has blessed you as it has blessed me. Thank you, good friends. Let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, You are the one God of heaven and earth, Jehovah born in the flesh to be the savior and redeemer and creator, one God. You are the judge, you are the advocate, you are the root and you are also the offspring. We thank you, Lord, for opening up your word to us, opening up your mind to us just a little. We know that there's more than we could ever fathom to eternity in these teachings, but we thank you for giving us a little glimpse of who you are. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. This stuff will make more and more sense.